Welcome to the Desire to Trade podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Etienne Kreit. We're in episode 132. Let's get started right away. Glad you could join me once again this week from Da Nang in Vietnam. I've been here for about one week so far. And I really, really, really love the place. It's a place I didn't imagine to be that way. And I almost skipped coming to Da Nang to only go to Hanoi, where I've been in the past. But I really am happy of taking the time to come here. And it's kind of a city with the beach and a very nice, relaxed mood. Everything is great. The Wi-Fi is awesome, which means I can produce more content for you guys. Now, before leaving from Ho Chi Minh City, I had the chance to record an interview with someone I've been reaching out to for a very long time. He's a price action trader and probably one of the first person I found when I was trying to learn how to trade back in 2013. Nick Bencino is the trader behind Forex for Noobs, a website dedicated to teaching people how to use price action, and he's doing a really great job with that. I wanted to bring Nick on the podcast because through his help and his blog, I've gone into a way of trading that includes support resistance and price action. Although I'm not a pure price action trader and I don't look only at price action and zones in the market, I still have like this basis that I think is really important. And Nick has been able to build the lifestyle that I'm also striving for, which is a lifestyle where you don't trade all day, but you focus on living your life and trading at the same time. So without further ado, please help me welcome Forex price action trader, Nick Bencino. All right, we are sitting down today with Nick Bencino. Nick is from Forex for Noob, a website I've been looking for. I've been reading a couple of times and I've been to a couple of times. So what's going on, Nick? Uh, nothing much. Just uh, woke up like 30 minutes ago, <laughs> jumped on here. How about you? Love it. Same thing here. So I'm preparing for a flight after tomorrow morning pretty early. But so I want to know where are you from exactly right now? I live in the UK right now. I don't know whether to look at the webcam or to look at your eyes. It's so weird. <laughs> I think I'll just look at the webcam because I think it'll be better. Yeah, I I live in the UK now. I was originally from Australia. I grew up in Australia, but I I much prefer the UK. I just like it out here because my parents are Italian. So I got an Italian passport, which means I can stay here and live here. Well, at least for a little while longer. Not sure what happens post-Brexit, but we'll see. So yeah, I I just live in the UK. Love it. Nice, nice. How about you? Where are you now? You travel a lot from Yeah, so, well, right now I'm in Ho Chi Minh City as I recorded this. And as it's going to be published, it's going to be a different city for sure. But yeah, so I know a lot of people are probably familiar with your website. They've been there, foxfornoob.com. It's a website I've been to many, many times when I was starting to trade, which is interesting. And so, so I want you to tell us what's going on these days, what kind of your trading, your business, and all the other things you're doing around that. I honestly, January, uh, I haven't really traded as much as I would like to. I've only taken like maybe seven trades so far, uh, January and February. I did start on the 15th of January or maybe it was the 14th. So I've only been trading a month this year because I take a break from the start of December to until the second week of January or the end of the second week. So I've been trading a month this year and I haven't taken many trades. I've just been so busy. Uh, there's a lot going on with Forex for Noobs and then Cryptos for Noobs, my new website. There's a lot going on with that too. And I'm just putting it together now and it's just a mess. So sadly, I haven't been able to trade as much as I want to. But, and this is not me bragging really, but I have a 100% win rate this year. 
which sounds great, but it's only like seven trades yeah. and two of them were closed out or three of them were closed out just before break even because uh, they were coming back against me. So it's not really technically speaking a good record, but it's been a pretty boring trading year for me so far, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just getting started. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah. you're living the lifestyle a lot of people want to have, which is the trading higher time frames. So you can do whatever you want during the day. Is that right? Yeah, that's why I, I uh, trade higher time frames. It's just like, I look at my friends, right? Uh, a lot of my friends have, you know, normal full-time jobs. Some of them are, you know, doctors, lawyers, and some of them are just, you know, have just normal jobs, office jobs. And all of them, especially, to be honest, the doctors and the lawyers, they just seem so unhappy with everything because they're like working 10, 12-hour days and they're making good money, sure, but they're just like constantly working. And I'm just, you know, it just doesn't really seem like the way people should lead their lives to me. I think people should, uh, you know, go out and do things during the day. I don't even want my, my girlfriend to work. When we first met like five years ago, she wanted to get a job because she's like, well, I want to be independent. I want to get a job. And I'm like, look, I totally get that. But you know, if we're going to be together, then you have a job. Then when I just want to say, hey, let's go to France next week, then you're going to have to say, oh, I have to check with my boss, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I just I just like the freedom of trading. That's really what it is. I, I like being able to just do stuff when I want to mm-hmm. instead of uh, having to check with a boss and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never liked bosses. <laughs> Can totally relate to that for sure. That That's a day I've experienced myself. And also seen which I also went back to higher time frame as well. So it's a, I think it's for me the best in terms of like personality and everything, but also for the lifestyle. So yeah, exactly. So I want to go back in time a little bit and I want you to tell us kind of how you started to trade exactly. And how did you evolve from that point? How I started to trade, it's like a, it's a bit of a long story, but yeah, I'll, I'll uh, say it. So I started when I was 15 or 16, around about when, when I was turning 16, I was, uh, in high school and in australia we have this thing called the stock market game basically what it is is they give each student in the class fifty thousand demo money obviously not real money and uh you're told to trade the stock market so i started trading stocks um it's a competition essentially whoever ends up with the most money out of the fifty thousand, they end up winning and they get a prize so i ended up uh doing this competition ended up doing really well. I ended up winning it. It's not because I'm naturally talented at trading. At least I don't think it was. I think there was a lot of luck involved, but also a lot of the other students just didn't really care. But for me, I had just watched uh, like a month or two earlier. What's that movie with Charlie Sheen? Wall Street. Yeah. I think it's Wall Street. Yeah. I just watched Wall Street. So I was like, oh, stock trading is so cool. I want to have like, you know, all the stuff he has in this movie. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to get into this. I got really into it and I did pretty well. Ended up winning. I think I got a thousand Aussie dollars or something like that for winning. Uh, And it got, uh, I can't remember all the prices, but it doesn't matter. The point is my dad opened up a trading account for me because I was still a kid, so I couldn't legally open an account. I started messing about with trading. I started kind of doing really, really well in a short period of time on the stock market. And I spent like the next year or two kind of, so this was my third last year of school that I did this competition. So my last two years of school, 
I, I spent pretty much the whole time in the back of the classroom messing around with trading. I actually, around that time in Australia, this uh, new kind of like a uh, modem had come out, that uh, router that you could, uh, it was like wireless internet, essentially. So I'd sneak this wireless router into class in my bag and plug it in. It was like one socket in the classroom and I had to sit in the back of class, plug it into the socket just so I could get internet so I could trade from class. And uh, yeah, I started doing really well, but it wasn't proper trading. What I was doing was essentially gambling. It was, uh, I was taking guesses. I had stupid risk management, stupid. Like I would be risking like 30% of my account on a single trade and I got lucky a lot and it allowed me to make a, a lot of money, but there was no discipline there. So in the end, I ended up losing all that money quite fast. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure most of you guys know how it is. Oh, yeah. Like you can lose everything in a few trades if you don't have proper risk management. And that's what happened to me. So I got pretty sad about that. I was thinking, oh, this is never going to work out. So I stopped trading for, I don't know, a year. I got a job in a pizza shop because my parents are Italian. So every Italian has a job in a pizza shop at some point. And yeah, long story short, I don't like bosses. The pizza shop job didn't work out. I went back to trading, but this time it was Forex instead of stocks. And uh, over the year or two, probably two years, I kind of started piecing it together. Price action uh, ended up being what I followed. And then I kind of figured out that it was mostly about psychology and not really about psychology and risk management, that is mostly about psychology and risk management. And I kind of like started piecing it together from there. But it took some time. I mean, overall, I would say it took me four years. If you count the first year, no, sorry, five years. If you count the first two years, then the year break, and then two years after that. So it did take some time. It wasn't, it wasn't a quick road to success, really. Mm-hmm. And Trading takes time. So I'm curious at that time, I guess you didn't have all the resources and all the websites and all the blogs we have today to like learn to trade. So how did you, first of all, come across price action and how did you learn that? I kind of made it up myself. I'm not claiming that I made up price action. Uh, that sounds a bit like <laughs> I, I didn't make up price action. I, uh, I just kind of like started looking at my charts and noticing patterns. So like support and resistance, if you look at a chart enough, if you stare at your charts and you try to figure out what's going on here, you kind of start to see that, whoa, that bounce links up with this bounce, links up with that bounce. And you kind of start to see these support resistance areas. I mean, so that's how I figured out support resistance. I just started to see bounces lining up. But if if you go back, if you look at my blog, for example, and you go back to 2010-ish, when I first started talking about support resistance, it was a very kind of like basic form of support resistance. I didn't have like a very, very good understanding of it. So I kind of like started piecing it together myself. Support resistance, I kind of figured out. Candlestick analysis, I think I read a few things from Steve Neeson, mm-hmm. but I didn't really like his stuff because I just felt like it was too much about pattern recognition. Oh, this candle means that thing. That candle means that thing. And it just never really kind of worked for me live. So I kind of started coming up with my own theories on candles. Well, not theories, just my own kind of like interpretation of candlestick data. So yeah, I, did, I never really, look, I'm the kind of person that I just can't really learn from other people. I just need to learn everything myself. Mm-hmm. So like 
I, I learned coding myself. I learned uh, video editing, which is what I'm learning right now. I'm learning it myself. I'll look up a few guides here and there, but I just can't learn stuff from other people. So it's not a good thing, really, because I wish yeah. I could learn from other people. It would speed things up, but, you know. yeah. But sometimes I agree that you learn a lot by doing it yourself and kind of, especially video editing, because I've learned that myself. Trading, I think I needed more help from outside, but yeah, you still learn a lot by doing it yourself, for sure. Yeah, it depends on the person too. I yeah. mean, some people are just better at learning from others. Some people are better learning themselves. There's no real advantage to Evo. Well, there's some advantages to, to Evo, but uh, neither is better than the other is one I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. So let's get to your trading style today. So you're trading primarily price action, we, we said, on higher time frame. So when you yeah. think price action, what does that, what do you think about? What does that look like? What does price action look like on, on higher time frames? Yes. So, because I know people have different definition of price actions and people say it's cannot oh, stick right. or support sense only. So what does that look like for you? All right. To me, price action is just what people are doing, what, not what everyone is doing, just what like the market movers are doing. So what the banks and hedge funds and managed funds, what they are doing because they're the ones that are causing the moves in the market. They're the smart money, essentially, and the dumb money is the, you know, everyone else. So I try to kind of figure out by looking at the charts what the smart money is doing. So I, to do that, I use a candlestick analysis as my main thing and then support resistance to kind of uh, give boundaries to the candlesticks. And that's pretty much all I use. I've recently added the 200 SMA I'm not a big fan of indicators, but the 200 SMA, it's not really an indicator as such. It's more like banks, hedge funds, managed funds, smart money, they all use the 200 SMA. So it acts as kind of like a moving support resistance area because they use it, because they have it on their charts and they treat it as support resistance. It then works in price action and then it creates price action essentially. You'll notice when price hits the 200 SMA, it does bounce away from it, especially if it lines up with a pre-existing support resistance area, then it usually has a big bounce from it. I wish I could show my charts. That would be, that would be better. But uh, so, yeah, I use primarily candlestick analysis and support resistance. Then I uh, throw in the 200 SMA just, for, just because it's a nice little moving support resistance area. But I don't rely on, on the 200 SMA at all. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, a so, kind of a backup. So, so it's not a rule you don't want to have, like necessarily processing the 200 SMA because you would trade like very rarely then. So if you were to wait for price to hit the 200 SMA uh, to trade, you would be trading very seldom. Oh yeah, yeah, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it happens like once for each pair. It might happen like once a year or twice a year. It's it's not a common thing. You can't rely on it for trading, but you do get like more powerful setups when it hits the 200 SMA combined with a support resistance area. That's the other thing. I wouldn't trade a 200 SMA hit if the 200 SMA is not also lined up with a support resistance area. So 200 SMA is already rarely hit. And if it has to hit it combined with a support resistance area, if I was trading only that, I'd be trading like three trades a year. Just uh, <laughs> not going to yeah. happen. No. Uh-huh. What are your thoughts on in terms of time frame? Because I know some people are going to try to apply the same thing on a five minute chart as a daily chart. Do you have some preference on like the time frame to trade with price action or? Uh, I trade the four hour, six hour, eight hour, 12 hour and daily. Well, that's what I say I trade. In reality, I rarely take trades on the four hour. It's just 
things happen a bit too quick on the four hour and you get a lot of false entries. Six hour, again, I kind of don't trade that much. Eight hour, I trade more, but it's mostly, most of my trades happen on the 12 hour and the daily. They just seem like better timeframes, more consistent, better results, easier to trade because you have time to make decisions. This is the problem I have with scalping. I do scalping myself, price action scalping, but for me, it's not really uh, something I do to bring in uh, money. It's more something I do just to kind of like, when I'm bored and I want to trade, but there's nothing happening on the higher timeframes, I'll throw up a five-minute chart and I'll do some scalping. And I like it. It's good. But the problem with scalping is it's really intense and really stressful. And for an experienced trader, if you've been trading a few years, you understand the psychology of trading, you know, trading five-minute charts, you can probably do it. For a new trader who has no real experience with the psychological stresses of trading, which are real, the emotional stresses of trading, which, which are very real, trading the five-minute chart is not advisable. Mm-hmm. You're going to get stressed out. You're going to make bad decisions. Because you have to make your decisions quick, like you have to make snap decisions super quickly. And with the 12 hour time frame, with the daily time frame, you have like four or five hours to analyze the trade that's coming up and to decide what's the best course of action here. Should I enter this trade? With the five minute chart, you have like a few seconds. You have to just decide, is this trade worth entering? And you have to jump in. So it's a huge difference between like the few seconds you have on a five minute to the few hours you have to decide if you want to enter a trade on the daily time frame. So I always advise new traders, especially should start with the dailies or the 12 hours, you know, the high time frames, maybe even the eight hours, but anything below that, it starts to get a bit, uh, anything below the hourlies, I mean, not, not below the eight hour, anything below the hourlies, it starts to get a bit too uh, emotionally daunting for traders who are new just because they haven't built up that kind of tolerance yet to uh to trading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. So one thing I noticed for myself is that I trade the forward chart and I try to like go and look at the eight hour and the 12 hour chart, but the times just sometimes don't line up. So you kind of have to go every four hour or every 12 hours and you kind of miss in the time that the chart closed at. So have you found like a way to organize yourself to like make sure you look at the chart at those specific time in the day or how does that work? I honestly, everyone asks me this, that everyone wants to be around for the candle close. But for me personally, I just look at the charts whenever I have time. So I'll just like, okay, I, I don't have like, I don't have to be there for the candle close. This is a bit of a controversial subject, but I don't believe candle closes are really that important. I know mm-hmm. everyone does. And I know whenever I bring this up, people are like, you've got no idea what you're talking about. Candle closes are vital. But I don't believe they are because candle closes, they're just, first of all, you could look at a bunch of different charts that have different candle close times. You know, a lot of candles close have New York close, but then there's a lot of candles who have GMT close. A lot of candles have different close times. So a candle close time is really that important. And the other thing is candles, candle closes can be very misleading. Price action is always flowing. There's always that data coming through, that flow of data coming through. Buyers, sellers struggling against each other constantly, constantly. The candle close time, it really isn't that important in my opinion, and I don't really care that much about it. I just check my charts and I read the price action that's happening right now because that's what's important. What's happening now is important, not what just happened, what happens uh, at the close time. 
Mm-hmm. So much easier to explain this with charts. I know it sounds a bit all over the place, but uh, I just don't really care that much about close times. I just check my charts whenever I have time, usually four to five times a day. Cool. Yeah, and I personally agree with you on the fact that it doesn't make a big difference. But when you want to, let's say, back this something, back this system, then you have to count on candle close and things like that. But yeah, in real life, mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world if you skip a candle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Really good with that. Yeah. Now, when it comes Definitely. to kind of starting out with press action, what would you recommend people to do? Because I know people like it seems like this huge field where there's like so much to learn and so much to master. So where should people start? I think you should always start with support resistance areas. A lot of people tend to start with candlesticks, but I just think the thing about support resistance areas is once you know how to place them, you're basically setting up barriers. Well, not barriers. You're setting these areas on your chart, which you know with a high chance when price approaches that area, it's either going to stall for a little while and then continue to go through, or it's going to reverse. Now, those support resistance areas, they can be used on any strategy. They're not limited to price action, whereas candlestick analysis is more of a price action only thing. You might find that with time, you don't like price action. It's not your thing. You want to trade with indicators. But if you understand support resistance fully and you have a good understanding of it, you can take support resistance over to any other strategy. You can take it to indicator-based strategies. You can take it anywhere, and it's going to be useful for you because if you see an entry – Let's say you see a bullish entry, like a, a buy trade, just before a major support resistance area. It's just above that bullish trade you want to take. You know that this support, this resistance area, sorry, is probably going to block that trade from pushing up. So you're trading an indicator-based strategy. is telling you to go long. You see that uh, resistance area above. You might want to wait until after it breaks that resistance area to actually take your trade or whatever. So you can transfer that that skill over to another another strategy. Support resistance is just so versatile and so important. And it's very, very easy to learn once you get into it. I just get uh, people to do 30 minutes per day or you know, however much time they can dedicate to it to placing support resistance on different charts. It's so easy with uh, dates. So you do, sorry, with years. So you do 2012 to 2018 or 2017, probably better. Then you are, you do a list of pairs and you randomly pick one pair and one year. And then you play support resistance areas for that pair in that year. So that's how you practice placing support resistance. You place it based on a year of data. And if you do this, you know, daily or however often you can, for a month or two, you'll find placing support resistance is so easy. And it's such a good skill to know for any strategy you're ever going to trade. So yeah, start off with support resistance and then tackle candlestick analysis. Candlestick analysis is a much more complicated subject. It's not basic candlestick analysis is easy, but there's a lot of levels to candlestick analysis, which does take time to master and to learn. Whereas support resistance is something that you can master in a month. Well, master is a bit of a strong term, but you can you can get a very good understanding of it in a month. Mm-hmm. Love it. So it's all about the daily practice. And I guess one of the challenges people yeah. have sometimes is like either they're going to have too many lines or it's going to be too subjective. Like they don't know how to place them. And depending on when they place them, like their mood or whatever, they're going to place the lines at different levels. So how do you deal you with happen, that, yeah. that subjectivity of support resistance areas? I have a kind of a step-by-step rule 
kind of like step-by-step guide to placing support resistance. And I have some rules. One of them is BCW, body congestion work. So that's the importance of uh, that. So body of the candle is more important than uh, points of congestion. And it's more important than wicks. That's the order of importance for placing support resistance, at least my style of support resistance. So I have that rule. And then I have like a few other rules, just a few steps to follow. And I find that most people end up placing their support resistance areas similar to mine who are following my rule set. But also, I have a kind of rule which seems a bit counterintuitive, but I think it's uh, very important with support resistance. As price action traders, what we're doing is we're trading what banks hedge for, what the smart money is doing, right? So they're looking at obvious support resistance areas. So we need to only look at the obvious support resistance areas. If you start putting in the the kind of like little mini ones in between, it's just going to confuse you. You're going to end up with too many support resistance areas. So I think the key to placing support resistance areas is to do it quickly. Because when you do it quickly, the obvious ones stand out. When you spend time staring at a chart and you're just like, oh, what's up? What's up? Then you start placing them at all these little things in between. Then you have too many. But if you look at a chart and you like do it in a minute, you just go bam, 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 bam. Then it's just the obvious ones that are there. That's how I play support resistance areas. I probably spend on most charts less than a minute placing support resistance and that's what I teach people to do. Mm-hmm. Place support resistance areas quick, and then you end up with the obvious ones. Don't spend too much time on it. Don't worry too much about it. That's the other thing. You shouldn't worry too much about your placements that aren't where price is right now. So where price is right now, those are the most important support resistance areas, the one that's above current price and the one that's below current price. The ones that are like five areas away, who cares? They're not that important. You just place them as best you can, and you can revisit them You know when price moves up to that area. Just don't spend too much time on it. Yeah. Don't spend too much time on placing them on each chart, but do spend time on learning how to place them. I think that's a great tactic. And one of the mistakes I've made earlier in my trading journey was to kind of really look at the chart to make sure not to miss any line or any zone. And yeah, I would take way too much time. <laughs> I would be way too yeah. confused. So, and you end up with like 30 support resistance yeah, areas on your exactly. chart, and you can never take a trade. Exactly. No. Do you have a process where you kind of review your zones every week or every month, or do you kind of erase them at some point and go back and redo them again? Yeah, I like every week or two, I'll just get rid of them and start fresh. I used to kind of like adjust them a little bit, but then, you know, I've run into that problem again of uh, I'm spending too much time trying to get it perfect. And then I end up with saying, wait, could I also place one here? Oh, could I place one there too? Because it looks like there was a bounce there a year ago. And then I end up with too many lines again. So I just kind of like just delete them and just start over. Maybe every two weeks, every three weeks. It's It just depends. It also depends on like where price is. If price has stayed in the same area for three weeks, then I'll just leave my support resistance there. But if price is moving into new areas, then I'll probably just delete and start over. Cool. Love it. Because it only takes me 30 seconds, yeah, like I said, yeah. all right, let's say one minute per chart. So it's not a big job to redo 10, 20 charts. Mm-hmm. And do you have a tactic of like a specific time frame you look for? Or personally, for me, it's going to be the weekly chart that I find easy to place lines. And they correlate with the daily chart too. So do you have any preferred time frame? I prefer the daily. I place them on the daily. I also look at the weekly uh, for like major support resistance, but mostly just the daily. Sometimes I'll go down to the 12 hour and that's just to kind of like, sometimes the daily is a, there's not enough data. 
because what we're placing support resistance on is data. It's essentially, you know, candles are data. But sometimes on the daily, especially on a fast moving pair, you just don't have enough data. So when you go down to the 12 hour, it splits every daily candle into two because 12 hour blocks. And that gives you just a bit more data to place your support resistance areas based on. But it's not something I usually do. I mostly stick to daily. Mm-hmm. Love it. And if I'm not mistaken, you have an amazing YouTube channel, which I've been watching for some time, like a lot of time a few years ago. And I know you are kind of a big fan of backtesting. So going back and reviewing charts and analyzing, showing people what that was about. So I'm curious to know, how did you validate your methodology? Was it through backtesting? And if, if so, like how? Originally, when I first started, it was it was forward testing. I didn't really do any backtesting. You know, for the first few years, either I didn't know of backtesting software or it didn't exist back then. Because, you know, it's it's been a while since uh, yeah. since I started. So. When I first started, yeah, there was no real backtesting. But, you know, every trader gets to a point in their in their trading career where they, they think I could make things better than they are now. I'm doing well. I'm making consistent profits. But, you know, if I tweak a few things, I can probably make more profit. And the only way to really figure that out is to to backtest your data, mm-hmm. backtest and see I one of my students um, who's become like my pretty much my best student. He's into physics. He's a physicist by trade. So a really smart guy, really good with numbers, mathematics. He backtests like no one else I've ever seen before. He puts all the backtesting I've ever done to shame. And he collects data from my forum. So he asks like people to submit all their trades. And then he backtests thousands of trades submitted by everyone on my forum and he comes up with like these insane kind of this insane information that is just so valuable to traders mm-hmm. and without backtesting he wouldn't be able to do that so we've found out recently that entering on a retrace is uh with my strategy anyway entering on a retrace is almost certainly going to make you more profit because obviously it will make you more profit but you have to enter no more than, 30, so if it retraces 30%, more than 30%, sorry, I'm explaining this badly. If it retraces more than 30%, don't enter the trade. If it retraces, basically, retrace at the 30, enter at the 30% mark on a retrace. I'm just going to simplify it. Mm-hmm. Enter at the 30% mark on a retrace. Don't enter beyond that because if it starts to go too much, uh, retrace too much. Again, I'm explaining this badly because uh, you actually need to see a lot of stuff and you need to see all the data to understand this properly uh, and to explain this properly. But my point is backtesting is is a very valuable to a trader. I use Forex Tester Free. I think it's pretty clunky. It's not the best platform, but we don't really have that many choices for Forex. So Forex Tester Free it is. And uh, yeah, I do a lot of backtesting. I test a lot of things. I changed my tar- uh, the way I do targets three years ago. I used to win, like on average in a year, 72, 73, 74% of trades. Now that sounds very good. It almost sounds too good to be true. And in a way it is because I was taking my targets way too early. I was exiting too early just so I could say to myself, I have a 75% win rate because I felt good about having a 75% win rate. So I would exit early. But the thing is, I could have made more profit for years had I kept my trades open, let them hit higher targets, but then I would have a lower win rate. 
I just didn't like having a low win rate. But at some point I realized with backtesting, hey, I can make more money if I just let my trades run. Sure, I'm going to win 60% of trades, lose 40%. But does it really matter if I have more money at the end of the year? Of course not. I'm going to just be happy with a 60% win rate and more money. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that through backtesting. Nice. And I know this Long is, answer to the question. Yeah, but this is different to, to everyone. But how do you take profit on your trade? Is it like a fixed level or fixed work to risk? I don't have a set. Well, I have a few, uh, a few different ways to do it. And it really depends on the trade. Most times, I'm just going to exit at a fixed risk to reward ratio, which uh, is either 1.5 or 2. Uh, 1.5 is for risky trades that are counter to the trend. So if I'm trading a reversal that's completely counter trend, unless uh, buy, if it's a long trade, for example, unless buyers are in very strong control of price, I'm going to exit at 1.5. If I'm doing a, you know, a trade that's with the trend, which tends to to work out better, I'll have a risk to reward ratio of around about two. And if it's moving well as it approaches my target, I might extend that to two and a half, to three, to sometimes even four. But most times I'll just like exit at that two, two risk reward. That's uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty simple way to take profit. Yeah. I don't mess about with uh, with taking profits too much. I used to, but not these days. Yeah, and I, I do exactly the same with fixed take profit. I get fixed reward to risk. So interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I that from you. It's possible, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, something I've been teaching for maybe like two years now. Before that, okay. I was messing around a lot okay. with my exits. But the last two years, if you were watching my YouTube videos in that time period, yeah, maybe you did. Cool. Fixed risk reward, I think it's the best way to do things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's more simple, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the common challenges you see people have trying to trade price action? Oh, there's a lot. But I don't think it's really just price action challenges. I think it's just trading in general. Mm. I think it all comes down to trading psychology, overthinking things, trading too much, jumping into people want to. The thing I find is that new traders, they think that a trader's job is to take as many trades as possible and to make as much money as possible. but I don't think that's true. I think a trader's job is to primarily, number one, protect their capital. So protect the money that they have and don't lose money is your first objective. And doing anything that is losing you money goes against your first objective, which is to protect your capital. I think most traders, the challenge they find when they start trading is over trading. They'll try to jump into as many trades as possible because they think that they need to do that. They need to do that to learn how to trade properly. But the reality is good traders, they're not taking a lot of trades. They're taking the best trades. They're protecting their capital. They're only trading when it makes sense to do so. So taking as many trades as possible goes against what real traders are doing, in my opinion. Now, I know like a lot of traders, real traders are scalp traders and they're taking a lot of trades, but I'm talking about price action trading on higher time frames. You know, with that, you're not taking like 10 trades a day. So when you're learning, you don't need to take 10 trades a day. You just need to kind of like take it slow and, you know, look for the best trade setups. And when you find the best trade setups, you take them. Uh, so over trading, I, I think is just the biggest challenge by far. People think they need to trade a lot to learn, but you're not really learning to trade the way a real trader does because real traders don't 
essentially trade a lot. Yeah. Cool. This is a question I get a lot. So when you trade a higher time frame and you swing trade, let's say with price action in your case, how do you decide what pairs to trade? I just have a list of pairs. The thing is, my answer is not going to be too helpful because I have a forum and uh, so I'll have like 10 pairs on my chart, mostly any one time that I'm monitoring. So with those 10 pairs, I scan them every, uh, you know, five, six hours, whatever, several times a day. And I'll, uh, if I spot any trades, I'll enter them. But the cool thing for me these days is I have a forum and it's quite big. And uh, there's a lot of traders who are trading the exact same strategy as me. And they'll post their trades to the forum. So I'll be like, oh, GBP New Zealand. I never trade GBP New Zealand. It's not really a pair that I have on my, on my uh, watch list at mm-hmm. any time. But hey, someone posts a trade on GBP New Zealand. It looks good. I'm like, yeah, I may as well enter. So... I think there's a bit of a problem with that too, though, because I feel that recently I've started to become reliant on other people to alert me to trades, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's that's ever a good position to be in because I've always been against providing signals to people. I think signals are horrible because you never learn anything. And now I've put myself in a position essentially where I'm getting signals to trade from, from my students, which is not really the best position to be in. So I guess to answer your question, how do I decide what to enter? I, I just get like, people just tell me on the forum when a good trades up and I'm like, Oh yeah, that looks good, but it's not a good position to be in. I need to really do something about it. And I really don't have a solution right now. Yeah, yeah but it's kind of hard to monitor all the currency pair anyway. So if you're going to have to look yeah. at all of them, it's going to be tough. Yeah. And yeah, some, yeah. one of the ways one of my, uh, one of my students does it, they'll, uh, every morning, they'll look at the weekly charts. They'll look at what's trending. So basically what they do, right? Daily and weekly charts. Every Monday morning, they'll look at the weekly charts. Every day, they'll look at the daily charts. They'll see what's trending. What has the biggest trends? What's most likely to move? They'll discount anything that's ranging and they'll watch anything that's moving. And then they'll trade based on that. They don't want to trade ranging pairs because they're usually not going to move enough to hit target. So it's just about identifying what's moving this week, what's moving this month kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's one way to do it. Uh-huh. And is this something you can apply to like all the pairs or have you found some pairs that are not profitable over the long run? I think that a lot of the cross pairs are not really that good. Like a lot of the weird ones like GBP New Zealand, that's an example I was just talking about. Generally speaking, not really a good pair to trade. A lot of these weird cross pairs are just not that great. I can't really say that they're not profitable over the long run. I think if you trade them the right way, you can be profitable trading those pairs, but they're just not as profitable. Uh, as other pairs. And if you ever have a choice between entering a GUP New Zealand trade and a GUP USD trade, pick GUP USD because GUP New Zealand is a bit weird and it does weird things and it just doesn't really move in a nice way. So I'd say really the majors are better. And it's just because of, uh, of the volume on the majors, liquidity also, I mean, way less likely to get major slippage on a pair that has a lot of liquidity. And, you know, your spreads are going to be a lot better. Yeah, uh, stick to the majors, really. Uh, I'm not saying don't trade weird cross pairs like GUP New Zealand. I'm just saying they're not as good, generally speaking. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. Is there anything we didn't cover that you would like to touch on or talk about? Yeah. The most important thing for, for traders. This is something that I've been like talking about uh, for the last few years. And it really annoys me because no one really cares about it and no one wants to wants to do it. But I think it's by far the most important thing for traders and it's the most important thing you can do to be a successful trader. And it's dead simple. I put my uh, trade tracker out there for free and everyone can download it and use it. And I think that's that tool is all you need to be a pro. And it's not even a tool. It's just a spreadsheet is all you need to become a profitable trader. And some people call it a trading journal, but I really don't like that term. I used to call it a trading journal, but it just sounds sends the wrong message. It's like, dear journal, today I took a trade. It's not like that. It's just a, it's a spreadsheet where you put in all the information about your trade. And this is different to a logbook that your your broker platform gives you. So your, your broker is going to give you like a log of trade. Sometimes it's called account history. You know, it tells you when you enter the trade, blah, blah, blah. It's different to that. A trade tracker or a trade journal, it allows you to put in all the information about your trade, that all the important information, including emotional stuff. Again, emotional sounds a bit weird, but I'm not saying like emotional in that way. What I'm saying is like, you would enter, do I feel confident about this trade? Do I feel confident about this trade? So you would say either yes or no, or you could also have it as how do I feel about this trade? Confident, not confident. So you write in all this information for every trade you take. It's time consuming. It does take time, but learning to trade is not something that's easy and it's not something as simple. It's something you have to invest time in. Once you have all this information, it's all data. So you have 50 trades now in your trade journal. You have the entry price, the exit price, whether it was a long or short position, what strategy you're using, if you felt confident about the trade, how long the trade lasted, a ton of information. You have 50 trades listed on your trade tracker, your trade journal now. You can look at that data and you could see all your losing trades and you could see what are the commonalities between my losing trades? What are the similarities between my losing trades? And for example, one of my students, they found that on most of their losing trades, when they answered, how do I feel about this trade before they entered, they wrote not confident, right? So they knew that something about the trade that made them feel not confident about it it was some kind of intuition, I guess, they had. They felt not confident about the trade and it doesn't work out. So obviously there's a real reason there. I'm not saying it's magic. There's a real reason there. It's something about the price action. They just don't know enough about trading to understand what was happening on the chart that made them feel not confident yet. But now that they know that, they know that they should avoid trades if they don't feel confident about them, right? And that's just a very simple standout example because it's like an obvious one. But there's so many deeper connections that you can make. Like a lot of my one of my students, another one, he found that he couldn't trade. He uh, was less profitable in general on JPY pairs. I don't really know why, but he found through his trading journal when he had a few hundred trades recorded, JPY pairs, they tend not to work as well for him. They tend not to hit their full the full uh, target of uh, two RR. They tend to, to only get to one RR. He tends to close most of the JPY trades early because they're not performing too well. So he shouldn't be trading JPY pairs or he should adjust his uh, approach to JPY pairs or there's something wrong with it. It allows you to figure out these little kind of links in your trading, links between your losses, similarities between your losses. But so you could do less of those things. If you know 
the similarities between your losses. You can change things to have less losses, but not only that, similarities between your winning trades. If you know what's similar between your winning trades, you can do more of that. Have a trading journal. Yeah. I take it there's going to be links at the bottom of the podcast. I'll link everyone to my trading uh, journal trade tracker and they could, uh, they could grab it and they could start using it. Yeah. If you don't use it, not my one, but if you don't use a trading journal in general, I just think it, it becomes a whole lot harder to progress as a trader and to get better. Absolutely, yeah. And this is this is a big change for sure. So yeah, we'll make, we'll make sure to put a link in the show notes. Speaking of which, how can people find you if they want to connect with you or reach out? Forexpanoobs.com and uh, coming up in uh, a few weeks, probably by the time the podcast is released, cryptosfanoobs.com. It's my new nice. crypto trading site because I've started trading cryptos too. I haven't talked about that. But uh, crypto trading is... Uh, talk about stressful crypto trading is stressful but it's a uh, it, for, for traders that have some experience i think crypto trading is something that that can be quite good as long as you know how to avoid the dodgy brokers because there's so many of them in, in the crypto world so yeah cryptosfornoobs.com and forexfornoobs.com love it that, that's pretty interesting pretty good insight and i was gonna ask you so what are your goals for the future i don't know i want to my trading goals anything or just goals in it Goals in general, definitely travel more. I last two years, I haven't really traveled as much as I as I've wanted to, because I've always been stuck going to like Italy for because my family lives there, which I don't really count as a holiday anymore. I know it's Italy and it's fun, but it's not really a holiday anymore because I'm just going to visit family or to Belgium to visit my partner's family, which is again, Belgium is awesome. I love it, but it's not a holiday because I'm just visiting family again. So yeah, travel more for myself and for my and for my partner to go to interesting places, uh, because trading gives me the freedom to do that. But I just I've been so busy lately with like so many different things, and I just want to like chill out and travel more because mm-hmm. I have I haven't been taking advantage of it. And if I wait another ten years to start traveling again, then I'm going to be older, and I don't I want to travel now when I'm still young. I guess. What's your motivation to travel more? just to see things. I mean, I grew up in Australia and in Australia, it's really hard to travel because you jump on a plane, you're on a plane for three hours, you're still in Australia. But in Europe, you jump on a plane one hour, you're in a completely different culture. Like one hour, you're in France, you're in Belgium. In under two hours on a plane from the UK, you can go to like, what, 10, 12 different countries, Sweden, Norway, all these places. And I think it's just a, such a shame living in Europe and not seeing all these amazing cultures and amazing places and amazing things there is to see here. There's like thousands of years of history here, and I think everyone should see them. And uh, yeah, that's my motivation. I just want to see them. I want to experience different cultures. And I've got a lot of friends all over Europe too, because I'm really, I'm a PC gamer. I, I game a lot. So I've met a lot of people through gaming and uh, a lot of them have become good friends. So I want to visit them too. So yeah, my motivation to travel is see stuff. Awesome. So Nick, I have a question I ask all my guests at the end of the podcast. If you could give only one piece of advice for traders in one sentence, what would that one sentence advice be? Use a trade tracker. Love it. I already went on about it. That's it. Like literally, if you're not tracking your trades, if you're not tracking all the information about your trades, well, this is more than one sentence now, but use a trade tracker. Love it. Please. Nick Vincino, thanks so much for being on our podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, thank you.